Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series in 2 Corinthians today, Power and Weakness, with a message entitled, The Greatest Purpose. So turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 18, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Every one of us needs to believe that the things we're doing are important or amount to something. They have significance. I mean, people who think that their lives don't count, they're susceptible to despair and even suicide, and and that all makes sense. We were created by God to have purpose. I once heard a university prof say, it's getting a bit tiring to make nothing sound like something all day long. Now, I can't remember what he was teaching, but clearly he had no sense at all that what he was doing was significant. And here, because we live in a broken and sinful and ruined world, this this whole matter of significance gets turned around. You know, in our culture, at least this is how it seems to me, we've traded significance or purpose with significance of person. Let me explain that. Now, of course, it's true that being in the image of God, every human being has value and has, in some sense, a built-in purpose and and a built-in significance. But here, this sense that our significance is the reason why we live, I mean, that's the idea that ultimately leads us to despair. It is required of us that we serve something or somebody greater than ourselves. It gives great joy and meaning and reason to live, to sacrifice our lives for something infinitely greater than ourselves. It's not until we bow our heads and call Jesus Lord and God and find no greater joy than to lay our lives down for him that we actually gain significance. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that is in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul has been explaining why with all the painful difficulties that he's been enduring, he's not lost heart. Thanks be to God, he says. Christ is leading me in triumphal procession, and even if that procession leads to my own death, I still rejoice. Now, not all people will feel that way, but Paul does, and so can we. You know, if you're a Christian, you need to rejoice, for you serve God in Christ Jesus, and furthermore, the gospel, the good news of the cross, has infinite worth. You serve a cause that's not only greater than yourself. This cause that you serve, well, there is no cause in the universe greater than this. If you're a pastor, you're a preacher of the gospel, you've been given the greatest task any human being can have. No king and no president and no teacher, no leader in technology or medicine has a task anywhere near as significant as the one that's been given to you. Do not despise your task. But let me speak also to non-pastors. I mean, if you think that you're just an ordinary Christian, let me suggest that, you know, for instance, let's say you train children in the gospel, or you're sharing the gospel with friends and family, or if you simply stand in the parking lot and direct traffic so that people can get into your church to hear the gospel, listen, your task is infinitely superior to the President of the United States. If you dedicate your work to the glory of God and if you give for the advancement of the gospel, you're doing a significant and eternal work. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18 is a passage in Corinthians in which Paul contrasts the Old and the New Covenant. So this section of Scripture can easily be broken down into two sections. The first section, that's verses 7 to 11, are all about the infinite glory of the new covenant. That is, it's about the significance of the new covenant. Stop for a moment. Think about that. 
You know, some time ago, I met a man who led a medical team in developing a medical breakthrough that has consequently saved thousands and thousands of human lives. I asked him how he felt. And at first he said, well, you know, they they paid me well. I said, I'm sure they did. But how did this project make you feel? And yeah, he was rightly gratified to have served such a noble cause. It was significant. Its significance was being felt daily around the world. And we need to talk about the significance of the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Just how significant is that? And that brings us to the second section, which is verses 12 to 18. You're going to remember that that my friend told me that he'd been paid very well. And yes, serving so great a cause often results in a financial reward. So what's the reward that comes from serving the gospel? And that's what we'll find in verses 12 to 18. So let's start with the first section. It's the greatness of the new covenant. I'm reading now 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 7 to 11. Paul writes, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So Paul's been contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And he's already taught us that the old covenant came without the power to change the human heart. That is, the law is good and holy, and it reveals the righteous character of God, but it doesn't come with the power to change the human heart. But now in this passage, Paul gives us a series of three contrasts. And and the first is the contrast between the ministry of death and the ministry of the Spirit. The second is the contrast between the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness. And then third, he contrasts that which was destined to come to an end with that which is permanent. So notice the first two contrasts. Paul uses the word ministry, a ministry of death, a ministry of the Spirit, and then a ministry of condemnation, and then finally, a ministry of righteousness. So what does Paul mean when he uses the word ministry? See, I think the answer is that Paul meant the service of those who mediated these two different covenants. So think about it this way. We all serve somebody or something. You know, we serve our job, or if you work for a boss or a company, you serve that. You probably serve the bank when you're paying off your mortgage, and you serve at the food bank, and maybe you serve your spouse or your family. I mean, each of these ministries or services require time and effort and cost and a big chunk of our lives. And so the first contrast, Paul is speaking about the ministry or the service of Moses. And here he's referring to a text from Exodus 34. Moses has gone up the mountain, and he's had the second set of tablets made for the Ten Commandments. You're going to remember that he broke the first tablets in anger when he saw the people who had made a calf idol. Now he's back up the mountain, he's cut a second set of tablets, and he goes to meet with God. He writes out the second copy of the Ten Commandments, and there's more. He meets with God. And God declares that he's merciful and will forgive, but he will by no means clear the guilty, that is, those 
who conspired against him by building a calf idol. Now we come to Exodus 34, verse 29. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now, says Paul, that was a glorious thing. I mean, this man stood in God's presence. His face shone so that after that, when Moses built a tent of meeting at the edge of the camp of Israel, he would go into that tent and he'd meet with God. And then when he would come out, his face would shine again to such an extent that that he'd put a veil over his face because the shining of his face caused great fear in the camp. Moses gave his life, Paul says, in service or ministry to that cause. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's that's outstanding. I mean, that is certainly not a wasted life. When Paul comments on this, he says, but that was a ministry of death. Well, how? Well, it was death, as we have seen, because God had delivered a law that on the one hand was doable, but on the other hand, you know, there's a rage of darkness in the human heart. That revelation of the law will put the sinful heart in conflict with God. All of that, says Paul, was going to end badly. It was going to end in death. Now, says Paul, if you think that was glorious, and it was, the great creator stooping down to declare his righteous will for Israel and the human race, Paul says that was nothing yet. I mean, think now, says Paul, what happens when God no longer writes his laws on stone tablets, but writes them on human hearts so that human beings born again by the Spirit of God. Now, they leap for joy in submission to God's righteousness. No longer does the giving of the law mean that we're on a collision course with God. Rather, when God gives his law into our hearts and we're born anew by the Spirit, we love the law and we become pleasing to God. The new covenant is the opposite of the old. It's no longer a ministry of death. It's a ministry of life. It's a matter of going from the lesser to the greater. And that, says Paul, is what I'm doing. I've got a greater ministry than Moses would have dreamt was possible. Now think about yourself. If you serve the new covenant, you serve something far greater than Moses served. You live in exciting days and your life is given to something that is greater to eternal life. The past number of years, Back to the Bible Canada has been blessed to offer a unique Israel experience, a journey to the Holy Land under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, discovering first-hand locations across Israel so prominent in the Bible. On every occasion, those in attendance have agreed it was a spiritual experience of a lifetime. Now's the time to plan ahead. In April of 2021, Back to the Bible Canada is offering our next Israel experience, and we want you to attend. Join an intimate group of brothers and sisters journeying across Israel under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld and experience events and activities that will include Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, very special musical guests, and hosted by the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Plan to attend. Take advantage of having plenty of notice and register today. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Paul calls the ministry of Moses a ministry of condemnation. Now, again, we need to say 
that's not as negative as it seems. In fact, there was glory in it. There really was. See if I can explain that. See, I know some people who think that a pastor is faithful if, you know, if he stands at the pulpit and condemns people for their sins. And some people say, man, that man is a prophet. I mean, he's not afraid to tell it the way it is. But that's the old covenant. And don't get me wrong. It is important to declare God's law to such a degree that it crushes us. We need to find out that we're far more sinful than we had ever dared to believe. And staring full at God's law, that's an eye-opening experience. We find out that we have violated a holy and just law, and the lawgiver himself stands ready to defend his glory against human unrighteousness. And there's glory in that. But to be truthful, says Paul, that kind of a ministry only and always ends in the same place. It utterly condemns everyone. Now let's go to verses 9 and 10. Now, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. See, here's another way of saying that. The glory of the ministry of Moses is outdazzled by the splendor of a gospel that makes men and women into the righteousness of God in Christ. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the moon and the stars cease to shine when the sun comes up. And the sun has come up. There is a ministry that declares men and women forgiven and righteous through the gospel. And with that, Paul sums up the glory of the gospel. In verse 11, he declares the ministry of Moses as a ministry that was coming to an end. And Paul uses the glory on Moses' face as his example. With time, the glory would fade. However, the gospel never fades. The change wrought in human hearts when the Holy Spirit writes the laws of God into our hearts, when the Holy Spirit takes, you know, the heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. Well, now, that's an eternal thing. It never fades. It's eternal life. It never comes to an end. I've often marveled at that thought. I mean, whenever I've had the privilege of seeing someone come to Christ, there's a peculiar glory in it. You know, that person will be among the throng that stands before the throne. That person will sing the praises of the Lamb in eternity. They're going to be invited to rule and reign with Christ for eternity. It's an unfading glory. It's a turn of events that Moses and all the glory of the plagues on Egypt and then, you know, the Red Sea miracle and then, you know, manna every morning, glory of a cloud shining with the glory of God, water gushing out of a rock. God speaking to two million people at the same time, and then Moses standing before God so that his face shone. I mean, all of that glory is eclipsed by the rising of a far more brilliant glory. That's staggering. Is that significant enough for you? If you serve such a covenant, should you ever think from now on that your life doesn't matter? And Paul's still not done. I mean, after describing the greatness of our cause— He then tells us the greatness of our reward. So we're going now to 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. 
Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, if we examine this passage carefully, we should be able to detect four very important payoffs, rewards, or returns on our investment in Christ for giving our lives in sacrifice to the greatest cause in not just human history, but in anything at all. Look at the first reward, verses 12 and 13. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was brought to an end. So we're very bold. We look to the glory of the Lord and we're not afraid. We don't have to act as Moses did by putting a veil on his face. I mean, the purpose of the veil was that the Israelites wouldn't look on the glory that was fading. That is, Israel saw the light of God and the old covenant and they were afraid. Now, here we are in Christ and our light is greater. And furthermore, we need never look away. We're invited into the Holy of Holies. We're invited to the place where the high priest was afraid to go. And through Christ, we enter the Holy of Holies with boldness, knowing that through the covenant in the blood of Jesus, that is, this access into the presence of God is our rightful place. We belong there. The fear is taken away by the blood. No one in the past could have had such boldness. That's the first payoff. We're very bold. Now, here's the second. The veil of blindness and ignorance is removed from us. It's found in verses 14 to 16. Their minds were hardened for this day. When they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Paul's speaking about the hardening of the hearts of the ancient Israelites. And I'm reminded here of Jesus standing at the top of the hill that overlooked Jerusalem. Remember, he said, and it's recorded in Luke 13, 34, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? That was the trouble with Israel. I mean, they had an unregenerate heart, and it prevented them from welcoming their own Messiah. I mean, such was their bitterness against God. But now in the new covenant, the veil of a hard heart is removed through the Holy Spirit. See, from this day on, the veil's removed, the barrier that's formed in our own hearts, that barrier of rebellion against God is now gone. No longer will the veil of a rebellious heart prevent us from loving our God. Benefit number one, we're bold. Benefit number two, the veil of our rebellion's gone. Here's the third benefit. It's called freedom. So let's read verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I mean, two things interest me in that statement. I mean, the first is that Paul is saying that the Lord is the Spirit, and we wonder what that means. And I think what he is saying here is that the triune God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, gives us freedom. The third person of the Trinity transforms our hearts and makes us love God, the one whom we had previously hated. And that brings the latter part of the statement. 
When the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, the result's freedom. Freedom from condemnation. We're never condemned again. I mean, that's freedom. Freedom from guilt. We're never guilty before God again. Jesus has borne our guilt. Freedom from sin. Sin no longer masters us. Freedom from death. We're the children of the resurrection. Freedom from everything that once enslaved us. So let's review our benefits. So boldness, heart of stone replaced by a heart that loves God, freedom. Here's the fourth benefit. Continual transformation. That's in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So let's not be like Cinderella with amnesia. (laughs) Having been given over to a king who has left us with a glass slipper, let's not sink into the ash heap of irrelevance, forgetting the glorious gospel we're serving and the eternal benefits that God has given us. Ken Hughes quotes from a Scottish preacher who was speaking to his people during communion. Here's what he said. He said, do you believe your faith? Do you believe this I am telling you? Do you believe a day is coming, really coming, when you will stand before the throne of God and the angels will whisper together and say, how remarkably like Christ he is? That's not easy to believe. And yet, not to believe is blasphemy. For that, not less than that, is what Christ has promised us. Indeed, indeed. Can you ever say to yourself again, my service is of no account? How can such a blasphemous word ever come from our lips? Our service is glorious beyond all degree. Take heart, child of God. John, let's just go back just a second. I know you just said it, but that quote from that Scottish preacher, how remarkably like Christ is he? I've never thought of it like that. Is that what's going to happen? Is that what we can anticipate? Well, for one, of course, the righteousness of Christ has been, you know, applied to our account. I mean, it's it's that that marvelous part of the gospel. Uh, And I do think, Ben, this is the confidence that we have. We're beholding the face of the Lord. We're being transformed from one glory to another. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. This is what Christ is doing in us. It is true. That Scottish preacher had it right. To not believe that is truly blasphemy. This is what Christ said he's doing. Be confident in the gospel. Don't allow yourself to sink into a heap of irrelevancy. Believe the gospel. What a great word. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. One way we want to walk with you in your Bible study is to provide helpful tools and resources. This month, as our free gift, we'd like to send you a unique Back to the Bible Canada Bible Note Caddy. Some might think this is a bit old school, but this small journal comes with aids to help you take important notes, highlight important verses or sections of study, and it comes with a limited Back to the Bible Canada pen. These are limited in number, but if this is a tool you'll find helpful, request your free Bible note caddy today. And just a reminder, we're praying for you. And we're also blessed to know ministry friends from across the country are also praying for this ministry. What an encouragement. 
So call us today to request your free Bible note, Caddy, or send in your gift to support the Bible teaching ministries of Back to the Bible Canada at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.